If you guys are doing well, uh, my name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge Middle School. You guys can slip out with Jeremy and Emily. Everybody else, y'all can flip to Haggai. I'm sure you were looking at that this morning already. If y'all are joining us online, we're glad you guys are with us uh, as well. A couple of things. One, if you're online, uh, Matt mentioned the small groups, all that stuff is on uh, the, our website. I really want to encourage you, if you're in a season of life where you can't kind of do this, where the gathering is, it not, doesn't, uh, it's just, it doesn't work uh, for you, really want you to join a small group. They're important for everybody. They're particularly important if you're in a season of isolation. This is not a good spot to be. It's not good for anybody to be alone. We want to make sure you're connected. We do have some online-only groups. You can reach out to Matt. And if for whatever reason those don't work, reach out anyway. We want to make sure that uh, we're doing our best to pastor you and doing our best to help you plug in somewhere. Again, small groups are important for everybody. But I would say particularly if you're in a season of life where uh, you're having to reduce your social interaction, very important for you to join into a group. And then uh, one logistic, so we're going we're gonna to add a third service, most likely won't affect y'all, um, starting September 13th. We're going to do an 8 o'clock, which you're, you're not going to come to, 9.30 and 11. So we'll have 8 o'clock, 9.30 and 11. The 8 o'clock will be a family service, so we won't have any children's ministry. If you bring your kids, they'll be with you. Um, 9.30 and 11 will run just like they have been running. You still need to sign up. I know it's kind of a pain, and we appreciate y'all bearing with us through all that. There's no other way for us to try to maintain some level of responsibility and order um, uh, on Sunday morning. So we, we do appreciate that, even though I know it, it, is, uh, it can be frustrating. So we'll keep, up, we'll keep with the online registrations. You can come every week. We're going to ditch the every other week thing. That was one of the reasons that we're adding the service. So you'll be able to come every week. Um, and again, we'll add that 8 o'clock service as well to hopefully create a little bit more capacity. Uh, normally, like the old days, people loved when they were in a full room. Now people just think they're going to get sick. So we're trying to create a little bit more space for everybody on Sundays. And all that will be in the emails that Kim sends out. Okay, um, Haggai. So quick review. 42,000 plus Jews have returned to Jerusalem They've rebuilt the altar, and they begin to rebuild the temple. They're laying the foundation, and then they um, run into some opposition. So some locals, they uh, discourage them. They make them afraid to build. And then they bribe some local officials to, make, to frustrate the plans of the returnees to rebuild the temple. And so I'm going to read you just a couple of verses from Ezra while you're in Haggai to help set the scene here. Let me flip back to Ezra. This is uh, chapter 4, just uh, one verse in chapter 4 and one verse in chapter 5. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So we have a, there's a 16-year jump. The, the returnees, they get back, they build the altar, they encounter opposition. Then you fast forward 16 years. There's a new king named Darius, and uh, there, nothing happens until his second year. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Haggai said. So Haggai and Zechariah were both sent by God to the returnees. They haven't been 
uh, re- they haven't been working on the temple for 16 years. So he sends a spokesperson to kind of wake them up and to get them moving. Haggai gives four messages in a four-month time frame. Very short public ministry career for him. And we're going to look at each one of his messages. Today we're going to look at just the first one. So this is Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, so we just heard that from Ezra, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands." Then Zerubbabel, Joshua, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I'm with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So setting, this is kind of neat. Somebody did the math. The Hebrews work off a lunar calendar. So the first day of the month is a new moon. The new moon signals the beginning of the month. August 29th, 520 BC, that's when this message was given. So 2,540 years from yesterday, the Jews heard this message. God sent Haggai August 29th. 520 BC to deliver this message to say, get to work. It's time to start building and we're going to see if Haggai has anything to say to us. So a new moon, that was a holy day. So the beginning of every month, the the Jews would basically dedicate the month to God. So there was a day that you weren't allowed to work. Didn't matter what day of the week it fell on. You didn't work that day. There were extra offerings that were given uh, at the altar there was, uh, people would feast, sometimes just in their family, sometimes in, in larger groups. It was, a, it, was a, it was a celebratory day. And there's every reason to believe that Haggai gives this message at the altar. Remember, the altar has been rebuilt, so people are bringing their sacrifices or extra sacrifices that are made that day. And the backdrop would have been the temple in utter devastation, rubble, pile of stones, and Haggai gives this message. It's a strong contrast. So the, the point of dispute between the people and God, the people are saying, it's not time to build the temple. And God is saying, it kind of is time to build the temple. You've had 16 years to build the temple, and y'all have already built all your own houses. So you're, it's not the building that's the problem. You've already done that. And again, the contrast, they just came from their houses, uh, the uh, Haggai says they're paneled. That could 
kind of speak to luxury, like your house, like you're already living in your houses. They're set. And look at mine. It's a pile of bricks. You're saying it's not time, but your actions have said, well, it's already time because you've done yours. The materials that are needed to build my house, those are the same materials needed to build your house. The know-how to build my house, that's the same know-how, know-how to build your house. The skills to build my house, same skills needed to build your house. You've got everything you need. Why isn't it time? It's an issue of urgency. It's an issue of priority. It's not an issue of timing. Why isn't it time to build my house? And then uh, verse 9 really summarizes the situation. So for several years, the people's lives have been marked. We're going to use the word futility. Their lives have been marked by futility. They're not getting out what they're putting in, in any area of life. We read that in, verses five, in verse 5, like you're eating, but you're not getting full. You're drinking, but you're not satisfied. You're wearing clothes. They don't keep you warm. You're, you're earning money, but you're putting it in a purse that has holes in it. It's like nothing, no, no matter how hard you're working, what you're getting back, it, it's not equivalent to what you're putting in. For the effort that you're exerting, your return is pretty measly. It's paltry. And God says the reason for that is there's a, there's a drought. And there's been a drought for, this isn't just a temporary drought. There's been a drought for several seasons. It affects wheat, which is planted every year. So the roots are shallow and it affects grapevines and it affects olive trees. It affects trees that have deep roots. So it's, again, it's a significant drought. It's impacting every area of their life. Agrarian society, drought is bad news. The, whatever you're bringing into your house, I'm blowing it away. Whatever crops you're bringing in, I'm blowing away. And, and you can, uh, maybe some of you have lived through times where uh, in, inflationary times, we've got less produce. We're producing less. So that means demand is going to be higher. So that means prices go up. And so it costs more money to buy the same loaf of bread. It's like putting money in a purse with holes in it. You, you just have less of everything, this season of futility that they've been living in because of the drought. That's the natural cause And then God says, and here's the reason behind the reason. I'm the one that sent the drought. It was me. I called for it. Why? Because of my house that's in ruins. Y'all are busy with your own homes. Mine's a pile of bricks. And so I called for this drought as judgment in order to get your attention as discipline. And then he sends Haggai to help unpack everything for them. And the people respond to their credit. They respond, we want to give the people, I want to be fair to them. The climate was uncomfortable at best and maybe outright hostile to rebuilding. There was opposition. It wasn't, you know, a, a smooth road for them. They were discouraged. They were frightened. There were people who were bribing local officials to frustrate their plans. There was risk involved, for sure. If they were going to continue in the rebuilding process, it was going to take courage. There was risk involved. We want to acknowledge that. But there's, we don't have any evidence that Cyrus, the king, had rescinded his decree. The last official word was, go back and rebuild the temple, and there's no new official word. So even if they're local officials that are giving them a hard time, The king still is backing what they're doing. And so from God's perspective, yes, it may require courage. There's no reason to not do it. There is risk involved. 
That's no reason to not do it. You guys have not been responding. And so he sends this drought as discipline and as judgment. And then when Haggai comes and explains, here's what's actually going on. Here's the reason that your life has been marked by futility for the last several years. The people, they repent. They acknowledge that they've sinned. They fear the Lord. That's what Haggai says. Fearing God, it's, it's uh, having great respect or reverence for him. It's really easy for us to get complacent in our relationship with the Lord. He's so patient and he's so kind and he's so merciful. It is super easy to put him on the back burner. He's not demanding of us in the way so many other uh, obligations and relationships are. And again, because he's so gracious and patient and kind, it's easy for us. One year becomes two years, becomes 10 years, becomes 16 years. And that's what had happened to the people. I think initially they went back, and I think they were enthusiastic. We see that. They initially, they, they rebuilt the altar, and they're excited, and they start laying the foundation of the temple, and which is good and the right thing to do. Then they hit this wall of resistance, and their enthusiasm is sapped. And then they just get into their own lives. And again, then they look up, and it's been 10 years, and then maybe you all have had this in your own house. You have a project that's half done, and at some point you don't even notice it's half done anymore. It's just kind of the part of the landscape of your life. I think they just showed up at the temple and they didn't even register for them that it was in ruins. Like they knew it was, but they didn't know, if that makes sense. They didn't register anymore as, that was the whole reason we came back, was to rebuild that thing. And it's just sitting there in ruins. I don't think they made the connection. I got to, my house is done and his isn't. Again, it's easy for us with the Lord because he is so gracious and kind and compassionate. Because he is so patient to be complacent in our relationship with him. And I think that's what happened. And so a drought comes and then a prophet comes to say, here's what's happening. And to their credit, the people wake up. And they, 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 they fear the Lord. They recognize, whoa, he's holy. He doesn't make suggestions. He gives commands. He expects obedience. All of you parents have said it. Slow obedience is disobedience. We've been disobedient for the last 16 years because we haven't rebuilt this temple and then God gives them this promise, I'll be with you. It's just like him. Again, so merciful and gracious. As soon as they repent, they're restored fully to relationship. And he knows they're going to be scared. The opposition is still there. And he says, I'm going to be with you in the middle of this. You don't have to figure it out on your own. You don't have to do it by yourself. I'm going to be with you. And then on September 21st, the people begin to rebuild the temple. Three weeks after Haggai gives that first message. Three weeks from yesterday, 2,540 years ago. The people get to work on the temple. For us, uh, there's a question and there's a challenge. So I want to, uh, both of those things, just as we figure out what is Haggai saying to us 2,540 years later. The question, are you, am I, are we building our kingdoms to the neglect of God's kingdom? You, me, us. Are we building our kingdom to the detriment or to the neglect is a better word than detriment, to the neglect of God's kingdom. So Old Testament's super concrete. It's one of the things that's so great about it. The temple is in ruins. That's objective reality. We see the pile of bricks. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it's much more nebulous and ambiguous, and it's not a building that we can see. And so it's hard to know, well, what, what condition is it in? If the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, how are we supposed to know? 
It's invisible in so many ways. How, must, how are we supposed to know what the condition is and how do we contribute to that? When I think about the kingdom of God, I think of two things. One is people. Are more people becoming more like Jesus? If the answer is yes, then the kingdom of God is expanding, it's growing, it's being built. If the answer is no, then the kingdom of God is not growing and expanding, it's, it's not being built. God's rule and reign is not being extended in individual hearts if there's not more people becoming more like Jesus. And the second thing I think of is more corporate, and this is a little squishy, squishier. It's, I think of institutions. I think of schools and churches and businesses and government entities. I think of the family, and not necessarily are all of those things being led by Christians, or those Christian institutions, but are those things God can use to bless people? Are those things healthy? Do those things embody any of the values of the kingdom? Are they just a train wreck? Are they just hurting people? And to the degree that those things, we would say, those things are actually blessing people, even if they're not explicitly Christian. God's using those things, even if they're not led by Christians. Those things are healthy, we can say, hey, that's a, those are expressions of God's kingdom. He's doing good through those things, even if the people don't acknowledge that he is. Again, that's a little bit squishier. So I think about people and I think about these institutions when I think about the kingdom of God. And so the question is, am I building my kingdom? Are you building your kingdom? Are we building our kingdoms to the neglect of those things, those institutions becoming healthier and more righteous and uh, a, a tool and instrument in God's hand? whatever level of authority you have in that world? Or am I building my kingdom? Are you building your kingdom? Are we building our kingdom? Neglecting our part and seeing more people become more like Jesus. And you may be thinking, you don't know me very well. I don't have a kingdom. Your kingdom, some of you are building a resume right now. That's what you're doing. You're getting experiences and you're getting education and you're getting skills and you're putting it all down so you look good to the college admissions guy or to the girl, the employer going to give you a job. Some of you are building a family right now. That's the phase of life that you're in. Some of you are building a career. Some of you are you're building your portfolio or your net worth. You're building your reputation. Some of you are building a legacy. You're in that phase of life. You're more thinking about the people behind you and what am I going to leave for them. You're building that legacy. I actually don't think any of that thing is, none of that's wrong. I don't think God expected the returnees to sleep in tents for until they got the temple built. There's no indication that building a house was the wrong thing to do. The issue was they built their house and they neglected building his house. So it's okay to build your resume or your career or your family or your business or your legacy, as long as you're not doing that while you're neglecting the kingdom of God, building the kingdom. We don't necessarily build the kingdom that's God that does that, but he does it through us. So we're just for shorthand going to say building his kingdom. Again, the, the issue is not are you building your own? It's are you only building your own? Or are you building your own and neglecting his? That was the issue for these guys. Verse 9, my house is in ruins and you're busy with your own homes. Do we recognize the state of his rule and reign in our community? And are we at all focused on that? Are we only focused on my resume and my reputation and my family and my finances and my legacy? 
Again, those things are okay. They just can't be primary for us. So that's the question. Are you building your kingdom? Am I building my kingdom? Are we building our kingdoms while we're neglecting his? It's the end of the month, so maybe do this if you want. Maybe do it if you don't want. That's probably better. If you don't want to, then do this. Think about the month of August and ask yourself a couple of questions. Where did my money go? Did any of my money go to the kingdom? So you can think about what you gave to church, that's great. What you gave to missionaries, that's great. But there's other stuff that counts. If you helped an individual out as an expression of love and generosity, like that counts. It doesn't matter if you got a tax break. You may give to people or to to organizations that aren't explicitly Christian, but they're doing good work. You would say, this is really good. This, even though this is not explicitly Christian, it's something that's the values of the kingdom are being expressed through that. So think about your money. Where did it go? Think about your time. Again, don't, don't just say, did I go on a mission trip or am I serving in church? Those things are great, but there's plenty of other ways. I have a friend, he meets with his senior, school, he has a senior in high school. He meets with his son every Wednesday for breakfast. They talk about life and God and future. Like that absolutely counts. That's kingdom work. Some of you, uh, you, you reach out to people. You call people when you haven't seen them for a while or somebody comes to your mind and you reach out. Like that counts. It doesn't have to happen in this building to count. A lot of what counts shouldn't happen in this building. Where are you spending your time? What about your gifts? Are you serving? Are, are, the skills that you have, the talents. Maybe you make meals for someone new mom or someone who lost somebody, that counts. Maybe you coach a sports team, that counts. You serve on a board, you mentor somebody. Don't think just explicitly what's happening in a church setting. Think more broadly. People, more people becoming more like Jesus. How are you helping in that? And your family counts. These institutions, how are you, with whatever level of influence you have, working within those things to, to make them healthy, to make them serve people, to see them bless others and not wreck lives. All of that counts. So just ask the question of the Lord, God, am I doing this? There's my question. Here's my challenge. Consider your ways. Consider the way you're living your life. God says that twice to the Jews. You're, you're experiencing futility have you ever stopped to step back and say, why, why is this happening? And the answer was, no, they never had. They just kept working harder. They just kept working harder. And God sent Haggai to explain to them. And so this is, you got to stay with me here all the way through. Don't just hear the first part. Is your life marked by futility? When you think about some of your relationships, maybe Honestly, if you think about your physical health, when you think about your finances, your career, would you say, my life is marked by futility? I'm not getting out what I'm putting in. Banging my head against a wall. I'm verse five. I'm eating and I'm not full. I'm drinking and I'm not satisfied. I'm putting on clothes that are not keeping me warm. I'm putting money in a purse that has holes in it. Would you say that's your life? If so, ask the question, God, why? Why? What's going on? Are you trying to tell me something? 
Here's the danger, particularly for those of you who have super sensitive consciences. Sometimes a drought is just a drought. It's not a discipline. Sometimes it's discipline. We've got to ask the question. God sent Haggai to explain to the people, here's what's going on. And he'll, he'll make sure that you know. If God is disciplining you, and he ultimately disciplines all of us, if we're his children, Hebrews 12, he disciplines those he loves. If we're not being disciplined, then we're illegitimate children. Are you going through a season of discipline? If so, God wants you to know why. Those of you who are parents, it does no good to discipline your kids if you don't tell them what the ultimate goal is. If you're just sending them to their room and they don't know what they did wrong, guess what? They're not going to change their behavior. God wants you to know. He wants me to know. He wants us to know. So you can ask him the question. And sometimes he'll speak directly to you. Oftentimes, he will speak to you through somebody else. Somebody who can tell you you have lettuce in your teeth. You've got to have people that you ask the question to. Hey, what do you see? Am I missing it? I'm struggling in this area of my life. Tell me, where, where am I missing it? Where am I dropping the ball? Is there some place where when you look at me, you see a, a red flag, at least a yellow light? You've got to have people like that in your life. God wants to sit their prophets, see whether they, they know it or not. They don't have to have an official title and talk like King James, but they can say, hey, this is what I see. I love you. And th- this is what I'm hearing when you talk. This is what I'm seeing when I look at your life. That very well may be the reason why you're experiencing futility. Again, sometimes a drought is just a drought. But sometimes a drought is discipline. And God wants to let you know if it is. Super easy for us, again, to get complacent. And super easy for us to get focused. Our world screams at us, and God doesn't. He only whispers. And it's super easy to ignore a whisper for one year, and then 10 years, and then 15 years, and pretty soon we don't even notice the rubble. It's just part of the landscape. It's important to step back every now and again. Take stock. Ask the Lord, show me. Psalm 139, great prayer. Search me and know me. Show me any offensive ways within me. I need to know. Jesus, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom and all of these things. What are these things? It's all the stuff they didn't have in Haggai 1, 5. It's food, it's clothing, it's stuff to drink. The necessities of life, all of this stuff will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and you'll get all this other stuff. C.S. Lewis, aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you lose both. We want to make sure as we're in the process of living our lives and building this thing that is our life, this kingdom that is ours, that all of that is submitted to and secondary to the kingdom that is his. We shoot for his kingdom, he'll give us ours as well. We shoot for ours, we're going to lose both. Recognize there's real sacrifice. Every board that goes to the temple is a board that doesn't go to your house. Every brick that goes to the temple is a brick that doesn't go to your house. Every dollar that goes to the temple is a dollar that doesn't go to your house. And every hour you spend on the temple is an hour you can't spend on your own house. Real sacrifice is involved for these folks. 
rebuilding the temple. Everything they give to the temple, then they don't have for themselves. And this is pre-industrial revolution. You're working hard to get a board. You're working hard to get a brick. You can't just go pick them up at Lowe's. Difficult work. If we can trust him to say, I'm going to give you, rather than giving you what's left over, I'm going to give you what comes first. Think about that new moon, the beginning of the month. I'm going to dedicate the month to you, not the end of the month with whatever's left. If I can trust enough to do that, that's what it means to seek first his kingdom. He'll give me everything else I need. Let's pray. Bo, you can come back up, please. We have ministry. If you want ministry, you can come kneel here at the altar. Me and Kim will pray for you. We'll be wearing a mask. We won't talk to you, but we'll put a hand on your back. This is a question I want you asking the Lord. The question in the challenge, the question before him, God, would you show me? Show me. Is there some area in my life where I'm building my kingdom and neglecting yours? I don't want to do that. Most likely, if the answer is yes, if you're doing that, it wasn't even intentional. The stress of a new school year or something with a new job, just kind of the inertia of living busy lives. The quietness with which God speaks and the volume with which the urgent yells at us. The immediacy of our kingdom, we see and feel and smell and touch all of that. And the kind of the ambiguity of God's kingdom, it's hard to get our minds around, our hands around. All of those things contribute. The fact that God is so patient and kind, all of that stuff makes it easy to focus on ours at the expense of his. So ask him the question. Consider your ways this morning. I would say if your life is, if you would say, in all honesty, my life is marked by futility in this area, absolutely ask the question. But even if that's not your experience, again, that don't presume upon the grace of God. Ask the question anyway. God, search me and know me. Am I offending you in some way? And my slow playing obedience was really just another word for disobedience. Are my priorities out of whack? If you bring something to your mind, just like the returnees, just own it. God, I confess I do that. I didn't mean to, but I did. And I need your help. And just like he said to the returnees, he'll make the same promise to you. I'll be with you. You don't have to figure it out on your own. He'll walk with you. You have to obey, but he'll show you the way to go and he'll give you the grace to go in that way. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Children, students, adults, would you speak really clearly to us? No guilt. I pray for those with super sensitive consciences who are looking at the stub toe and thinking that you have, you know, cast them from your presence forever. God, I pray that there be a deep assurance for all of us as sons and daughters, that even if we're experiencing discipline, it's because you love us. The discipline is actually proof of your love, of our adoption into your family. So no guilt, nobody getting shaky in terms of their relationship with you. 
from a place of confidence as sons and daughters. We want to say, search us and know us. Lead us in the way that you would have us go. Show us what it looks like really practically to seek first your kingdom and to trust you to add everything else to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys come forward if you want prayer. Otherwise, stay in your seat and Bo will dismiss us in about three or four minutes. Thank you all.